Good morning, and welcome to Season 2 of the Parker Edison Project. This go-round, we're showing you culture as a lifestyle, and how the tenants come into play in your day-to-day life. I was recently sitting in on a music production session, and I saw something that kind of amazed me. The rapper rapped a verse, and the sound engineer looked at the sound wave file on Pro Tools and began to cut chunks out. When I asked him what he was doing, he told me he was cutting out the rapper inhaling between bars. He was able to look at this digital block on the computer screen and see breathing. It got me thinking about the dialogue we now have with electronics. It's not just hitting keystrokes and asking the computer to do something, but literally vocalizing in a coded binary language to computers. No, it's not the traditional sense of zeros, ones, and twos, but we're getting pretty close. When we call a business, we immediately start talking in digits, giving zip codes or phone numbers or birth dates social security numbers, a string of numbers that translate to wherever you are, where you're from, and everything in between. It's an unofficial language we've concocted without noticing. You know, what's crazy is we actually speak through our cars, too. <laughs> That's my guy, Nate New Balance Witzel. He's an educator and freelance writer. He's dropping me off at the studio to finish these voiceovers. Hey, what were you saying, Nate? Well, you know, like, I, I ride my bicycle to work, and... I'm able to kind of stay back and observe this language being spoken, um, sometimes at me, uh, but often between drivers, whether they're looking at their cell phones and almost hitting me or other people, or whether they're cutting each other off, or on the flip side, allowing people to kind of come in when lanes are merging. Uh, But you can definitely see a language being spoken, that's for sure. Ah, and that's deep, because that makes me think about, is there actual personality that's translating through their vehicle in a way? I'm doing everything I can to be less judgmental. Um, But yeah, their personalities come out. You can almost automatically tell who's speaking a selfish language and who's speaking a selfless language. And I hate to say that, but the judgmental part of me is seeing it all the time. And if you're willing to go 80 miles an hour down the freeway and brake check the person who just didn't let you in or um, who got in and you didn't want them to, It says a lot about how you value your life, their lives, the lives of everyone else on the freeway, and um, just like the way that you approach every conversation you have, you're probably a bully. (laughs) That's nutso, man. That's absolutely nutso, but it makes complete sense at the same time. Yeah. You know, I wish I, I, I naturally went to harp on the the sweet man or the sweet woman who allowed me in yesterday as I was, you know, going from uh, the 163, you know, that weird little interchange on the 163 going north. Mm -hmm. Um, They let me in so that I could stay on the freeway and not get off on Friars. That's probably the thing I should harp on. But the thing that stands out most is the people who push their way um, in the conversation. And it's really, really been interesting to me. I've just come up with this idea um, because, again, like I said, I ride my bike to work and I'm watching the conversation all the time. And, uh, yeah. Dang. Hey, uh, I appreciate you giving me a lift. 
This right here, this is Sea Rays. You can just drop me off on this corner, man. Perfect. Have a good night. Certain tasks like driving almost create their own subculture, where its doers speak their own language. Cooking is a trade. It happens in a specific place with tools that aren't used in any other fields. Kitchen terminology is so key to the craft, the work would probably collapse without it. I worked in some eateries years ago, but I wanted to get some deeper insights from an insider. Originally born in Barbados, Kelston Moore is executive chef for the Coco Cabana restaurant in Oceanside's Brick Hotel. He's also part of an organization fostering up-and-comers. Ralph the Bat, what's the best dish at the Q&A restaurant? Actually, I would say the seafood crepe. Okay. Okay. Crepe. It's just, it's a non-traditional crepe, um, and it's going to be open. It's going to be open-faced crepe in a sense, and then we just put like a crawfish, shrimp, a couple vegetables. It, it, it's just amazing, by the way. Got you. I got you. And just you know, just so that people understand how busy you are and how far your work spreads. Where are you at today? I'm in Baja, California. It's really it's probably about three hours south of San Diego. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you're working on putting together a, a tequila of your own, yeah? Yes, I've been this last couple of years. I've been I've been fortunate to start, you know, venturing, you know, into tequila, like the flavor, like the agave. It's like one of those things where I wanted to start learning more about Southern Mexico culture that everybody in San Diego is like so raving about. So I started taking trips down here and I started falling in love with tequila. So I was like, you know what? Like, I want to make my own tequila. So I drink so much of it. I learned the process of the stilling and the, the harvesting of the agave, how to cook it. Learn the basics to make my own tequila. <laughs> Got you. Got you. That's next level right there. I applaud that. This episode, the theme is the languages that originate in certain professions, specifically that come with technology and the crafts that we work with. You're in the restaurant world. There's certain phrases I've always heard. What's a sous chef? Uh, your sous chef, he's like the second in command in the kitchen. He's really pretty much right on under head chef. So he's pretty much when the head chef's not there, he's the one that's commanding and making sure everything's done. He's pretty much the chef when the chef's not there. And you, you kind of touched on it a second ago, but how important is it to be familiar with the terminology when you're working in different kitchens? Every restaurant or every chef has their own like way of doing things. So you can't go into one restaurant trying to use the same terminology or you go into another job and use the same terminology. You have to try to pretty much adjust to what that chef is doing. Wow. You're an executive chef in kitchens. What's a, a, a major principle that comes along with working in your kitchens? For me, cleanliness and organization. I'm very organized and very structured. Like me in the military for 11 years, I believe in chain of command. You know, the head chef is the head chef for a reason. The line cook, the line cook for a reason. You know, but mm. I'm very structured and clean. Clean kitchen means you're going to be more organized. You're going to be able to find a whole lot more stuff, you know, rather than an unorganized kitchen. Uh, communication, um, just understanding the structure of things. Like if that line cook needs, he needs to know who he needs to be talking to up next, where his dish is going to be going up. And so when you keep structure and organization, it makes things a whole lot easier and everybody can be on the same page. I can dig that. Uh, I'm going to switch lanes just a little bit because I heard about you from something else. I want to make sure that everyone else knows about what you got going on. Tell me about the Bad Boys of Culinary. Oh, man. Bad Boys of Culinary. Nonprofit organization to highlight African-American chefs and create awareness through mentorship, sponsorship events. We started just by, you know, like a few chefs 
we did a pop up together and you know it's kind of like we wanted to bring that camaraderie because when I was coming up and you know the San Diego scene like I knew there was other chefs out there but I didn't really have that mentorship and that I needed I have two friends who are here with me now in Mexico helping me do what I'm doing being able to talk to them at two three o'clock in the morning you know and share the knowledge that's where Bad Boys of Culinary came in because here an African American chef like we all understand what we go through in the kitchen from the, the being passed on promotions because of our skin color and not being taught a level of knowledge because of our skin color. You know, we've all, we all go through it in some aspect of our career, but at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be that way. If you have knowledge, like it's okay to share and it's okay to ask for help. You know, we're just here to be able to help other chefs be able to get more ahead in their careers instead of looking like most of our parents say, oh, when I was your age, man, I wish I would have done this. You don't have to wish that anymore. You know, we're here to provide that knowledge so you don't have to wish, you can just do it, right? No matter how old or where you're at in life. It's so interesting. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you. How can people connect with you? Uh, people can connect with, with me uh, on Instagram at Chef Kelston, C-H-E-F-K as in Chilo, E-L-S-T-O-N, or at Bad Boys of Culinary, B-A-D-B-O-Y-Z of Culinary uh, on Instagram also, or our website, www.badboys, with a Z, of culinary.org. I've worked a lot of jobs, and very few create the camaraderie of kitchen work Long, stress-filled shifts with fire and sharp objects builds bonds. And they usually come with their own vocab. It's fascinating. I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but let's switch lanes and talk relativity for a little game I like to call Six Degrees of Separate Wayans. Give me a high five. What's your name and where are you from? Um, my name's Elijah Wright, and I'm from New York. Uh, how old are you, sir? I'm 20. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. At this age, you've already had some huge life experiences. And I don't want to get too deep, but what's a big one that's particularly memorable for you? Um, I would say uh, some of the people I've had the privilege to meet. Um, meeting Chabuk Bozeman was a, a really amazing experience. Seeing that film, Black Panther... And sitting next to some like legends, Denzel, Brian Coogler, Shrock was there, and a lot of people. Seeing their reaction, it was like one of the most memorable experiences. And then also talking to him after, hearing like just the things that he was talking about, it just inspired me. And I mean, I'll never forget that moment. You were remiss if I didn't at least mention that you come from a very esteemed lineage. Who are your parents? Um, my, my dad is Jeffrey Wright, and my mom's Carmody Jogo. And you're, you're, at, you're an artist in your own right, correct? Yes, yes, sir. What are you working on right now? I'm working on an album called A Love Story. It's about, like, you know, different experiences with girls and what's, like, a certain time in my life, kind of, like, late teens, like, high school era at the time when I was, like, trying to figure out just, like, I don't know how to, how to navigate just being a young man in the world. And it's kind of, like, me at, like, 19, sort of, like, 18, 19, like... And I just want to kind of get that one done. And then after that, I mean, we got a lot of stuff coming. All right. Well, while I got you here, what I wanted to do was play one of my favorite games. It's called Six Degrees of Separate Wayans. These days, the Almighty Wayans family is at the center of Hollywood. And to prove it, I play this game where guests give me people. They don't think I can connect to the Wayans. And uh, if they're right, they win. But that rarely happens. So... I'm hype, I'm hype to this. Word. Give me your first guess. Give me give me a name. John Legend. Ooh. 
this is a, this is a, a fast one actually. John Legend was in Soul Men with Bernie Mac, and Bernie Mac was in Don't Be a Menace while drinking your juice in the hood, which is a movie produced by the Wayans family. Oh, damn. Wow. Okay. Yeah, buddy. So there you go. I win that round. <laughs> I win that round. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, that's cool. Let's try another one to see if see if you can stump me on that one. Kendrick Lamar. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Kendrick Lamar was in the series Power on oh, Star. Yes. And that was made by 50. And yeah. 50, of course, was in a beef with Ja Rule. And Ja Rule is in Scary Movie 4, I think. I think it's number 4. It's either 4 or 5 that he's in. But he's in the I Scary you're Movie. Right. Yeah, no, he, damn, yeah. man. It's produced by the Wayne. <laughs> They're everywhere, man. They're everywhere. I was going to say, like, Will Smith, but I feel like that's an easy one. I, he's definitely he's definitely worked with the Waynes. Uh, Sam Jackson? Sam Jackson. Oh, okay. Sam Jackson was in Jungle Fever by Spike Lee. Spike Lee worked with Wesley Snipes for Mo Better Blues. Wesley Snipes worked in New Jack City with Alan Payne. And Alan Payne was in CB4 with Chris Rock, who worked on In Living Color, which is a Wayne's Brothers TV show. Damn... Thank you so much, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was dope. I'm so happy that I did this. You know, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. Do you maybe want to tell us how people can find you and look you up and get more familiar with you? My handle right now is uh, Elijah E. Wright. So E-L-I-J-A-H-E-W-R-I-G-H-T. I appreciate it, man. I so, so appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Let's go to a commercial with some music from Elijah. This is called Control of Me. I sip on the one and I got the touch and we gonna find things I sample it up but I got locked up in the doghouse And I try to breathe, I'm looking over and I'm far out And if I ask you girl, will you just take control of me? Cause time will pass us by and we'll move on to better things And if you stay the night, will you just take control of me? Control of me Stay tuned for more tuned of the P.E.P. Hello, this is Dr. Veronica Jirachi, a professor at San Diego Mesa College. On Thursday, April 14th, we're hosting our annual Cultural Unity Week featuring Parker Edison of the Parker Edison Project to explore how we share our culture with one another. For more information about this virtual event, please visit our college website, sdmesa.edu, and visit our college calendar or our diversity committee page. We look forward to you joining us for this virtual event. You are listening to DJ Rube. Yeah, it's me on Not So Serious Radio on KKSM AM 1320 in Oceanside, streaming worldwide 
and here, right here in San Diego at palomarcollegeradio.com. And you can also find us on the TuneIn and Live 365 apps under KKSM. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. And now back to the PEP. Welcome back. WorkSlings created with the goal of increased precision and efficiency. It fills in the gaps and saves us time by conveying big ideas. Made purely by necessity, it can only exist if it's truly useful. Some professions have so much lingo, it has its own name like legalese, the language lawyers use. Marvelous examples of this in action can be found frequently in TV medical dramas like Grey's Anatomy. Phrases like 10 cc's or defibrillate or code blue are thrown in to ramp up the energy of clutch moments in episodes. Hey Siri, what's a code blue? A code blue is a hospital emergency code used to describe the critical status of a patient. In this context, familiarity with a certain job vernacular speaks to a worker's experience in that field. Few fields exemplify this as thoroughly as one that defies gravity. My next guest is proving the sky is not the limit. She's a fly girl in the most literal sense. Let me introduce you to Anne-Marie Berry. I'm speaking with Anne-Marie Berry. How are you doing this morning? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. We're very lucky. The whole episode is about languages. Before I get into that, what I want to know, often people name their boats. Is it, is it traditional to name planes? That's a great question. Boats are actually my second favorite thing outside of airplanes. Funny enough, I would love to own a boat one day in addition to an airplane. So I already have a name picked up for my boat. Besides that, no, people do not traditionally name their airplanes. No, not that I'm aware of. Okay, okay. And I, I got to ask, where are you from? I am originally from Guinea, West Africa. So both of my parents are Guinean. I was raised in France and now I live here in Atlanta in the United States. What's what's your favorite dish in Atlanta? I have to say it's probably collard greens. Hey yes. Now. Yes. Okay. I also love to cook outside of uh, aviation. So I picked up a few southern dishes that I really do enjoy making. Yes. So collard greens would be my favorite. And I've learned to make it quite, 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 quite well. <laughs> hey, now, I'm not mad at that. In fact, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Yeah. Low key. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Tell me, who, who are the Sisters of the Skies? It is an organization of Black women pilots. We want to focus on bringing the number of Black women pilots specifically up. You know, um, I don't know if you know anything about just Black aviation, going back to the Tuskegee Airmen. It's not that many of us. And we just have this movement going on where we want to see more of us, you know, flying with us. Not that you should have the exact numbers, but 
roundabout. What percent of American pilots are women of color? So the percentage itself is less than 1%. Ooh. But what does that mean, right? In intangibles, in numbers, because less than 1% of what? To put mm-hmm. it into perspective, out of 660, about 660,000 pilots in the U.S. actively flying, there are 104,000 that are considered commercial pilots, meaning that they have earned a commercial pilot license, which I am one of those 104,000. And out of those 104,000, there are less than 200 black women pilots. Wow. So I'm sitting in rare space getting to speak with you today. Yes, indeed. You are indeed. Yes. So less than 200 black women pilots in the U.S. I had no idea that. I'm floored. Right. Well, think about it this way, Parker. You fly, right? You get places. How many times have you come across a black pilot? All the time that you've been at the airport, even, you know, on the airplane. How many times? You can't even think of one, right? No, I really can't. I really can't. Even for myself, as a black woman, it took me until I met Sisters of the Sky to ever see a black woman pilot, right? And this was in 2018. I had just started training as a pilot. And I spent my childhood traveling with my family all over. What what sparked your personal interest in flight? I was 11 years old, actually still living in Guinea. My parents uh, sent me and my brother on a trip to Dakar, Senegal. And on that particular flight, it was the first time that I actually took a step back because we actually boarded on the tarmac. So I got to see, walk up to the airplane, walk up the stairs and actually see the airplane. It was a Boeing 737. (laughs) I didn't know that then as an 11 year old, but I just remember just being just all about how big this thing was. Of course, my mind started going how are we up here flying and the whole flight i was just thinking and thinking and of course just like any childhood dream it kind of died for a good bit until i moved to the u.s in 2009 and um i revived my my dream and i joined uh became a flight attendant working uh, in aviation and i told myself well let's see you know i want to travel i've been wanting to travel since i was 11 let's see where this goes and the first few trips that you do there are training trips right so you go with more senior flight tenants they kind of show you around so i remember walking up inside the airplane and think about when you walk in most people go right and you go to the back and you sit right which is where the flight tenants and all the passengers go for me i actually walked in and i just instinctively just made that left turn as if to go inside the flight deck. Ooh. Yes. That's a calling right there. It's a calling. And I just knew from that moment. And there were pilots sitting in there, non-minority, obviously. But I remember just thinking in that moment, this is where I belong. And I need to be in there. That's, (sighs) yep. As, As I mentioned, this episode is about languages specifically. It's about the unique languages that come about with technology. Do pilots have their own language? Yes, we actually do. Two things. The reason why is because it actually keeps us all on the same page. So if I'm talking to another pilot and I'm speaking our language, we understand each other and we know exactly what is happening in that moment, right? 
there is no room for confusion, especially when you're in that environment. So yes, we do have our own lingo. We, we absolutely do. Is it international or, or is it different? Well, here's the thing. The universal language for aviation is English. Okay, okay. So all the pilots everywhere in the world, they all have to speak English. Air traffic control from India to Conakry, Guinea to Johannesburg to Australia to France, they all have to speak the same one language, which is English. In addition to that, there's also lingo within that language. So one of the big things in aviation is we put a lot of emphasis on safety. When we speak in, we have to be able to be on the same page because it keeps us safe, right, as pilots, so there's no confusion. So let's say I am flying and I am coming into the airport and I'm, I want to land. There are other people that are also flying alongside, you know, in the, in the, in the vicinity of the airport. So I need to let them know, hey, this is where I am. This is the type of airplane that I'm flying and I'm coming in and this is how I'm going to enter the airport environment to then land. So it will go something like this. Hampton Airport, November 123 Alpha Bravo, five nautical miles to the southwest, maneuvering for the 45, left downwind for runway 24. Hey Marie, we call that a flex. That's what we call it out here. That's that's a big flex right there. I'm for that. It's a big flex. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I guarantee you that any pilot anywhere in the world just understand that right away. Ooh. And it okay. keeps us consistent. It keeps us safe. There's no guessing, right? So there is a document, a book that we actually go by, and it's called the Aeronautical Information Manual. It's a literally a manual that has a guide on how to properly communicate, especially with someone like me who has an accent, right? There's no confusion. So, science. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I so appreciate your time. Sincerely, I do. How can listeners learn more or support the Sisters of the Skies? We are an organization of Black women pilots. So like I said, we want to increase the number of Black women pilots all around. Three ways that we do that is first outreach, because we are actually involved in our communities. We show that representation because representation does matter. We inspire them and show them that, you know, we're here. If we can do it, you can do it too. In addition to that, we also offer mentorship because if you've ever attempted to do something, when you have additional help or support, even if it's just the emotional aspect of it, it makes you more motivated to want to pursue that thing. The third thing is scholarships. Becoming a pilot, uh, the financial investment is upward of a hundred thousand dollars. It is not. It is not cheap. So we offer scholarships to some young women to help them along the journey. We are a nonprofit organization, but we also accept donations. Right. That's how we maintain or the work that we do. So, please look us up on uh, skies.org. Just so, so the listeners know how special it is to get to hear from you. Who's the first woman pilot of Guinea? <laughs> that would be me, Anne-Marie Barry, yes. There's a couple themes in this episode. One is the way certain occupations cook up unique lingo that serves a purpose. Another is how one generation helps the next generation lift off using that same lingo 
which keeps those terms floating around. Each one teach one. We'll call it tricks of the phrase. I'm going to close this show with, you know what? I'll let them tell you. You're listening to my man, 100 Grand, Parker Edison, and the PE Project. You're about to get into this uh, poetic, aka Dap Days. Yes, yes. Produced by yours truly, Evolve One. Rapping and shit. Yo, huh. You win my flat thoughts. Things start to fall apart. Brave with my heart. Lies leave the weapon. Stabbing with distorted passion. Grabbing my sanity, dragging me through death's third And the struggle I search through each verse To heal the hurt and teach those who don't know what I've learned Day to day I feel like I'm living driven cursor Cause every corner I turn and every step that I take I gotta watch my back Cause at any moment I could be snatched and jacked From the mathematical plot, a graph circle of thought Only the strong survive mental calisthenics To keep my strength in line But from time to time from time to time, hate clouds my mind, hate clouds on mine, corrupting decisions. I'm playing with my inner wisdom, but still on a mission to do the impossible. Moving up my mandible over these beats, samples. Describing life with the pen and the pencil. Describing life with the pen and the pencil. The pen and the pencil. The pen and the pencil. You don't understand. It's a rapture. I ain't scared it. Thanks for stopping in. Parker Edison Project is produced and hosted by yours truly, Parker Edison, and the good people at Platform Collection. Be sure to subscribe and catch the next episode on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, visit theparkeredisonproject.com or hit us on Instagram at the PE Project. My guy, Kurt Conan, is audio production manager. Lisa J. Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is associate general manager for content. This programming is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Content Fund. I love saying that because it reminds me of Sesame Street. Y'all stay safe out there.